I realized something after I published the last episode. This is something that happens sometimes no matter how many times I have reviewed and revised the script. In that episode, I made the point that the story in Matthew is revealed in chapter 11 to be one of active reinterpretation of Israel's texts, as well as reinterpretation of the whole world. Jesus reinterprets the world for his followers, including their literary canon, to give them the power to change the future. I realized later that the reason that chapter 11 strikes me as being such a revealing moment in the story is because up until that point, only the narrator has been citing specific passages from the prophets or Israel's other sacred literature to show how Jesus fulfills them. Jesus has been recognized as Son of God by the devil and some demons. John the Baptizer gave him an introduction with a lot of vivid imagery, but no specific quote from the prophets or any other text. And a couple of blind men call him Son of David, which will prove to be inaccurate, as we will see later in the story. But no character in the story has applied a specific text from Israel's canon of literature to Jesus to show that he fulfills it. Only the narrator has done that. And perhaps more to the point, Jesus has said that he came to fulfill the prophets and the law, but has not yet himself, as a character in the story, named one of those texts clearly as one that he is fulfilling. It's not that Jesus hasn't been quoting the Hebrew Bible. He has. He has been acting out the ancient texts, reenacting Israel's sacred stories, but he has not taken a specific text and stated that he is fulfilling it. He hasn't given his followers much in the way of details. The narrator has been giving us, the audience of the story, details about how he fulfills the ancient text, but Jesus in the story has not been doing that for his followers in the story, at least not clearly. The closest he has come, I think, is in chapter 10, when he riffed off of Micah 7, 6. I didn't cover it in that episode, but he did that when he was talking about the way his revolution will rip apart households. He said, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. That sounds a lot like Micah 7, 6 but the way that he uses it is more cryptic and not really as a fulfillment text. Micah 7, 6 is more about the moral breakdown of Israelite society, whereas Jesus riffs off of it ironically, showing how what dominant society fears in terms of moral breakdown will be exactly what his movement and its revolution do. It is what they will do to dominant society. It's a very subversive an ironic use of the Micah text. So not exactly fulfillment. In fact, it's sort of the opposite. Chapter 11 is the first time that Jesus, rather than the narrator, it's the first time that Jesus as a character in the story overtly states that he and his movement are fulfilling specific ancient texts. It's the first time that he gives his followers this sort of detail. First, he quotes language from Isaiah about healing and bringing good news to the poor, language that in Isaiah signals liberation from foreign empires and the dawning of a society of justice. 
He uses this language to describe the work of his movement. Then he goes on to actually say that John the baptizer is Elijah. For the first time, a human character in the story, the main character in the story, rather than the narrator, says, Hey people, we're fulfilling the visions of the prophets. In fact, John, he's Elijah. It would have been really cool if he had started naming other roles for other people in the movement, but papyrus space was limited, so we only get John's role. And he prefaces his statement about John by saying, if you can accept it. In other words, you've got a choice. You can see it this way or not. You've got a choice to make. Whereas previously the narrator has been interpreting the story as fulfillment, now the characters in the story become aware of it. They find out that Jesus has been leading them very intentionally to fulfill the visions of the prophets. He's telling them that this isn't something that's going to happen without them knowing about it. They aren't passive participants in God's plan. Jesus is telling them that they are active participants. They must make a choice to fulfill the visions of liberation. They must choose to participate and bring about the new society. God is depending on them. This ain't going to happen without them. They must wake up, begin to see and hear, and begin to put this new thing into practice. Only then will the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that was my new insight. I knew that something was making me feel as if the narrative had taken on a new dimension in chapter 11, making the fulfillment more a matter of intention than merely something that God will do regardless of who knows about it or who participates. But it only hit me afterward that the reason it feels that way is that there is a shift in the narrative. Not only does the narrator interpret this story as a fulfillment of the visions of the prophets, but now some of the characters in it do too. Thanks for letting me add this new clarification. I hope it makes sense. Hopefully, I will get to the next episode soon. But this weekend in Pasadena looks to be a scorcher. The temperature is forecast to be 108 degrees Fahrenheit, which is slightly more than 42 degrees Celsius or centigrade for those who don't live in the belly of the beast. And we live without air conditioning. I normally record from here, but that may be impossible this weekend. Saturday morning is usually my recording time, so it may take a little longer to get out the next episode. We'll see. Maybe I'll figure something out. Until then, thanks for listening. Spread the word about our podcast, and if you are able, do something to live into the visions of the prophets for a new and just society.